Welcome to Wild Hearts at Work, a podcast redefining our relationship with work through stories and conversations with Wild Hearts who have dared to challenge the status quo. And now, here's your host, Melissa Boggs. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Wild Hearts at Work podcast. I am your host, Melissa Boggs. And our phrase of this week is imposter syndrome. Dun, dun, dun. I am really excited to welcome a friend to the podcast. Um, she has work about leadership and about imposter syndrome and criticism and just so much to bring to the table about this conversation that I think is really important to those of us who are change agents. So welcome to the podcast, Asia Rubiesca Hadeen. Thank you. Hi, Melissa. Hi, uh, Wild Hearts. So good to be <laughs> with you today. This is so great. Thank you for coming. Um, why don't you just first introduce yourself to our listeners? Tell them what you're all about. Absolutely. As Melissa said, I'm Asya Bribieska Hedin. Uh, I'm an executive and leadership coach, and, and really, uh, I, I'm a leadership development coach is the way I like to think about it. And I work with accomplished professional, you know, primarily women who want to become influential, sought after leaders, but they don't want to do it at the cost of overworking, people pleasing or selling their souls. So it's a lot of fun. It's very driven by by values and kind of what speaks to your heart, which is why I love the wild hearts <laughs> connection. And um, I do that through both one-on-one coaching, group coaching, and now more recently, and when we talked before, my leadership confidence intensive weekend that I just uh, launched and was fabulously successful. So we're doing it again. Yay. That's so exciting. I heard the angel sing when you talked about like values-based coaching and, you know, listening to your heart and to your soul. Cause anyone who's been listening to this podcast for a while knows that's what I'm all about too. So did we just become best friends? Yes, I think. <laughs> So the thing that stood out to me, uh, again, when we first started talking was your, your passion around, I guess, preventing imposter syndrome. And so why don't you start us out by just talking a little bit about what, I think we all have heard the phrase, but what does it look like in your experience when you are talking to your clients? What does imposter syndrome show up like? Yeah. And, you know, imposter syndrome, I like to think of it as in a nutshell, it is believing that you're not enough, even though for what you already have. So we've all had the experience of not enough, right? But this is taking it to almost that, that next step and, and truly believing that even what we have, we don't deserve or we don't merit it. And that any second, we're going to be found out and, you know, the rug's going to be pulled out from under us. And it can be just such a particularly... Uh, you know, disempowering and difficult place to be, to be constantly second guessing ourselves because we, we presume, right. We're presuming that we're not enough. And so there's got to be this constant pretending and trying to guess and estimate what other people want to hear just to feel like we're surviving. And that of course is exhausting, exhausting. I was going to say the cognitive load of that alone, it sounds like it could almost like create a, you know, a self-perpetuating cycle because if you're spending so much time focusing on, you know, guessing and estimating and all of that, you know, you're 
spending load on that. Do you, do you see that? Do you think that's true? Oh my God. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Imagine, you know, sit back for a second and even, you know, think of yourself in, in your job and some challenging aspect of your job. Now consider the amount of mental energy that it requires to be able to be remain solution oriented and focused on what that top priority is and that what you intentionally want to drive towards. Now imagine at the same time, you know, something almost like with a rope around it, trying to pull that intention away to something completely unrelated. And that's a total disservice. And it's constant. It's constant. Like, you know, that second guessing. It's, it's like the opposite of being in the zone. You know, when we're in like in the zone and there's no self-assessment, there's no wondering what anybody else thinks. And we're just like in it and pouring ourselves into it. It's the opposite of that, right? It's the constant wondering, you know, what others are going to think and if it's enough and how they're going to respond and how we can make them respond differently than we think they might respond. And, you know, what we think it means about us and what we have to do to be more credible and, and things like that. Um, yeah, obviously I have a lot of thoughts about this, but (laughs) so, so I'll I'll stop there for a second. (laughs) No, 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 don't stop. Um, honestly, it, it, it sounds gross. Like that's the word that came to mind. And when I say that, I just mean like, what a gross misuse of our energy, a gross misuse of our hearts and our souls. And then again, our, our cognitive load. I mean, it's not productive, but yet let's, let's own it. I think almost all of us are guilty of it at some point. Um, Almost all of us experience self-doubt. So probably starts with self-doubt. Sure. But as you become more successful, I think that's when the imposter, because the the word imposter, I mean, it implies something. What what does that imply to you? The word imposter? Yeah. That I'm a fake. I fooled everybody. I fooled everybody. Right. And of course that feels, that feels awful. Who doesn't want to show up and, and, you know, at that very top, right. We think of like Maslow's need hierarchy and and you think of self-actualization and that is about knowing for ourselves kind of who we are and our value and we're living into it and reaching into it. And this is almost the opposite of that. This is almost, you know, as you said, it's often, you know, it's high performing people. So we're the accomplished folks, we're the leaders in society. But what happens is that people continue to ascend and they continue to rise and they, they amass credentials and accomplishments and kudos. And they believe that those are going to fill that gap, that self-esteem gap or whatever you want to call it. But the reality is it doesn't work that way. In fact, every time that more attention is paid or some acknowledgement comes to that high-performing individual, they feel like more of a fraud. So it's the complete opposite of what we would expect, right? You think that, okay, well, if I just, you know, tighten up my credentials and my skills and my resume is good to go, then I'm set. But in reality, all that happens is we feel like we're faking even harder. (laughs) <laughs> like we're, we're pretending even harder, you know, at it. Um, yeah. And I, I have all sorts of uh, opinions and, and ideas about that. Uh, but one that I find particularly damaging is the perspective is, of fake it till you make it. I think that is just 
so damaging. <laughs> yeah, I need, to, I need to temper my words about that, but that is just so damaging. And, and, and I'll tell you why. Because we will do things like, even the, the little little recommendations we hear from out and about, about uh, we'll say, okay, you're feeling nervous or you're not prepared or, or again, you're feeling like you're not enough. Go ahead and, you know, strike the, you know, superwoman pose for a couple of minutes. And that's going to boost, you know, how you feel and your confidence. The problem with these, you know, quick tactics and fixes is that we do them and then we find that we still have the same level of doubt, right? And, and, and concern about what other people are thinking. And then we think there's something even more wrong with us because it didn't work. That's exactly where <laughs> I thought you were going. Oh my gosh. Yes. Because there's no quick fixes. No, no. Yeah, people try to. It's funny because that this just it, it that makes me nuts that I hear people trying to, you know, asking me just, okay, well, tell me what I got to do and how I need to say it, you know, to be confident. I'm like, okay, you can either be confident or you can seem confident, right? When you're asking me the things you need to say and how you need to say it and how you should stand and what you should wear, you're asking me how to seem confident, right? And that's one conversation. I don't like to be in that conversation. I like to, to, you know, take the fight where the struggle actually is. And that's in the being confident, right? That's the, I refer to them as the, the intangibles and the tangibles. The tangibles are the to-dos. The intangibles are the inner work. And people don't want to do the inner work because it's hard. But when you do things like try to gather more credentials and try to look more shiny and polished and prepared on the outside in order to address a gap in self-esteem or, you know, whatever, what you refer to, what you might refer to in yourself as imposter syndrome. I kind of liken that to like you, you accidentally dropped your keys in the garage, but you decide you're going to go look for them in the driveway because the lighting is better. How does that make sense? Oh my gosh, that's the best metaphor I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah, I have a I have a friend who says that's like going to the hardware store looking for milk and then leaving pissed off because they don't have it. <laughs> like, yes, exactly. Totally. Yeah. Uh, so I mean what's obviously the first step to conquering this then is the inner work. Where does one even start? I mean, where do you even begin? I okay, so I think everything starts with values, right? So, so you know, and I know a lot of people, as soon as they hear the V word, they like start to shut down, but bear with me. Right? Not my people, not my people, okay, good, my good, listeners. Okay. Yes, yes, wild hearts. Yes, yes, okay. you are in the right company, my friend. Okay, awesome. But it, yeah, it starts with values, and the reason it, it's very concrete. This is not like a airy fairy reason, it's very concrete, and that's because. That is what you get to anchor to when stuff doesn't look or feel the way you want it to look or feel, right? So that those values are there as your North Star. When you don't have that, your confidence and your sense of self, your ability to contribute, how you show up is tied to everything going according to plan. And we can't do that, right? Because it 
undermines our ability to deliver on what's actually most important. So if if we're clear that what's most important is, you know, I have this room full of executives and I want to make sure that if nothing else, they walk away with an understanding of A, B, and C, right? That commitment, you know, and your value to being a contribution to them to help move forward, whatever that, that um, joint goal is, has got to be bigger than you're getting it right and whether you're going to stumble and what they're going to think about you. But when we don't have that North Star, all we have is getting it right. And mm. getting right just sets us up for failure because the moment something looks different, like God forbid a pandemic happen, mm. we <laughs> literally fall apart. Yeah, we literally fall apart. And then, you know, then it goes back to the, it's fine for things to fall apart, right? So I want to pause there for a second. There is nothing wrong with failing. The problem though, when you have imposter syndrome is that you make the failure about you, right? It's not just about the task and okay, got it. So egg on my face, what do I need to do differently next time? It doesn't go there. It goes to ruminating on all the ways I knew I wasn't good enough. And now they all know, like we turn it into a death sentence for ourselves, for our self-esteem Instead of just being like a noted, <laughs> that didn't work. <laughs> now, which direction do we want to try? Right? Totally different. We're going to fail because we're up to big things, right? All y'all listening to this, you're up to big things. We're changing the world. We're changing our environments. We're changing hearts and minds. And that does not happen by getting it right. It happens by being willing to get it wrong and letting that be okay. It's beautiful. When you were describing sort of the external validation versus the internal validation, I was, I was picturing a house of cards, right? When you were talking about external validation, I was picturing like it actually came up for me, like being in the boardroom and instead of standing at the front, you know, giving whatever presentation that this person is literally like building a house of cards and all the executives have to do is blow. Right. Right. And the entire thing comes down. But if you are up at the front giving the presentation and whatever house you've built is inside of you, you know, it's your house of your values and your core, then they can, you know, blow on the table all they want. Like it, it doesn't change Mm -mm. where your center is coming from and like you said, you you keep giving the presentation. <laughs> and yeah. if that's not what they're looking for, cool. Well, we've just opened a conversation. Precisely. Yeah, I love yeah. that. That's beautiful. And that commitment to intention, like you said, well, we've just opened the conversation. Like, how natural is it to go there? It's like, oh, this isn't landing. Okay, let me hear from you. What's going on? What do we need to be considering? Like, it seems just like a very natural extension of the conversation as opposed to a verdict on my not being enough or something like that. Right. Feels like it takes a lot of time to build that house inside. You know, it it can. And I, I would say that to have it stay, to have it be almost a default. Yeah, because our default has been to get it right. I mean, think about it. You know, from the time we're children, we're we're taught that 
doing well is to get high grades. And you get high grades not by trying and failing. You get high grades by getting it right. But now you juxtapose that, you know, take that to the other side when we're in out in industry, when we're in nonprofits, when we're in a space of innovation, you don't succeed by getting it right. You you succeed by failing. Do you understand what I mean? Like the learning actually lives in your relationship to, to failing and failing like a scientist would. Right. And, and where each failure is just an opportunity to rethink how you do it next. Um, Adam Grant, if you haven't read, you know, his book on that, please do. But it's just, you know, it's such an opportunity. If we can walk into a space being willing to be uncomfortable and not have it then be what drives our decisions we're golden. We can be anywhere and we can do anything because it's not a verdict on us, right? It's not a death sentence if it doesn't go according to plan. It is literally just, you know, something that we are putting out there to contribute, to move our our, our intention along, whatever the case is. And there's always the opportunity to course correct, but it's not dependent on whether it works. That's the big difference, right? And that's where when I teach on confidence and self-confidence, it's never dependent on it being right. Because right doesn't get us where we need to be. You know, it's being willing to be with the discomfort of failure. And we don't even like that word. Like we try to avoid the word. We'll we'll use all these euphemisms for yeah, didn't know it was planned. Yeah, we have some tweaking or fine tuning to do. No, it was a massive failure. Okay, now what? <laughs> it's okay. Agreed. Agreed. And I think some of that stems from what I'm going to ask you about next, which is do you think there is a clash of cultures when it comes to that type of thinking? Maybe even generational. So, yeah, I think. That's a, a great question because I don't know how much time I've spent thinking about it from that perspective and whether there is a a generational you know aspect to it. I'm going to say that that there is you know simply because our perspectives on what success is are now more broadly crowdsourced. They're not coming from you know the single voice of the corporate white male. Mm -hmm. And so it's going to be a different experience, right? It's no longer the single voice of 30 years with the same company. You know, it's no longer the single voice of who has the nicest shoes and the most expensive suit. I, I do believe we're kind of, we're shifting and accelerating that evolution. And, and yeah, I would say it is, There's something generational there. Well, I see it at every level and I I see, you know, very young uh, professionals or executives who are more driven by ego than their more experienced counterparts. You know, I also see, you know, the opposite, The, the more experienced senior leaders who are absolutely driven by, by purpose 
who are absolutely driven by, okay, but what is the outcome we're really trying to create? Not, you know, I screwed up and who can I blame this on? I agree. I just, when you were describing how we didn't have to be, um, you know, we didn't have to be looking to external validation and we didn't have to be um, perfect all the time. I couldn't help but think that there are pieces of our system and, and the system being, you know, sort of this global work system that are actually dependent upon that. They're actually dependent upon us staying in our place and, you know, trying to be perfect and trying to, you know, depend on that external validation. And I'm not even saying that it's maleficent, meaning sometimes, you know, leaders don't even recognize that they're doing that. But this is where some of our listeners are trying to challenge that system. No, I don't need that external validation. You know, I have this values-driven validation and are running into, oh, wait, the system wants me to be that way um, as a system. Again, maybe not individual people, but as a system. I think so. I think there, I think there's something to that. Sorry if I cut you off. No, no, no not at all. Yeah, no, no, I'm curious what you think. I think there's absolutely something to that. And actually, rem- as you were speaking, reminded me of um, you know an experience I had. Now, this is probably 15 years ago. Right. But I was, um, you know, newer in this organization heading up um, for all intents and purposes. It was probably the the highest profile initiative in this part of the organization. And so it was a lot of fun. I loved it. I was kind of kicking ass. Uh, And so I reached out to a senior executive over that that initiative. Uh, The gentleman was the senior, the sponsor, the executive sponsor for it. And because I was told that he was just a, a great mentor, great when you want career advice and stuff like that. And I thought, okay, that's awesome. Yeah, I'll, I'll reach out to him. And I did. And we we met. And I let him know what I was interested in, that I wanted to do more of this type of work. I wanted to re- lean into the strategy and the whole the leadership development side of things and things like that. And then he sat back and said, you know, people always come to me saying, you know, I'd like to do this or I'd like to do that. But sometimes they're already exactly where they need to be. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, hell no. What did you say to that no, man? A hundred percent true. It is a full truth. This, this happened. You know, it took me a second. Like, I think there was like a bit of silence. Like, no, he did not just tell me <laughs> don't aspire. Did, did he just Mm-mm. tell me don't aspire to more? Is that what just, you know, but. I just kind of took it and I said, okay, okay, well, thanks. I don't know. We wrapped up the conversation. Next day I dropped off a quickly. Yeah, yeah. And I thought, this is how you know, right? That not every piece of advice is looking out for your best interest. Mm-hmm. So we just need to be, you know, so aware because as you said, the systems are in place. Now, again, he was the the senior executive sponsor on this very large, very high profile piece. It was insanely successful. And like it or not, I was a cog that if you removed me, there was a tremendous amount of risk, right? To, to, to replace. And so of course I understand the idea of my leaving was going to, you know, kind of turn the alarms on 
and override anything having to do with my best interests because it was the best interest of that system that he had in mind. Right. Oh, I'm mad at him. And it was 15 years ago. (laughs) Well, you know, this is really funny um, because this person went on to another organization and uh, is leading there. And then I just got a call literally within the last couple of weeks from their organization to speak for um, International Women's Day. So I just wanted to let you know that things turn around. That's good. There's hope. There is hope. hope. But yes, there definitely is a system at work and self-interest at work. And it doesn't always line up with your best interest, with our best interest. Right. When you said, um, you know, not every piece of advice you receive, can you, you know, sort of take, it reminded me, I'm not going to quote it perfectly, but Brene Brown says something about not taking every piece of criticism or piece of feedback you're given and holding it close to your heart. Um, And that's always resonated with me. She said, you know, you don't have to like, again, paraphrasing, but you don't have to snuggle it. You don't have to hold it close to your heart. Sometimes you can just step right over it. Yeah. Um, And I know, again, criticism is something that you, you speak about and you work with your clients about. So let's go down that road for a minute. Like how, how do you sort of decipher what you should hold close to your heart or what you should step over and and what do you do with it? Yeah. You know, criticism, criticism can be, um, be a little bit of a beast there. And there are a couple of when it comes to criticism, it hits on two things that are incredibly human <laughs> and that 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 have a way of getting us worked up. You know, one is that human beings don't like to be told what to do. And the second thing is that human beings don't like to be put down. And criticism has a very efficient way of doing both of these in, in one fell swoop. <laughs> so it yeah, it can be particularly disruptive and destructive, but it's funny because we all do it. Like we criticize when we see behavior in someone else that we wish was different because that's all it is. It's us criticizing in hopes that that'll help them correct their behavior. Right. According to us. (laughs) Yes. Those, those, yeah, those helpful comments we make to, to others to, to help them correct their behavior because their life would be so much better and easier. (laughs) Um, So, you know, I always do start by helping people understand where criticism is often coming from. Sometimes it really is coming from a place of trying to squash or or trying to um, minimize or derail someone else, but that's not usually where it's coming from. It's usually coming from, I want to see something different than what I'm seeing. And apparently I'm either not clear about it or I have no way of articulating it to you. So then it comes out as criticism. What I recommend when I'm on the receiving end of criticism, and that is especially when it's, let's say someone or a situation that I can't simply, you know, walk away from, is I like the shopping list approach. Just say, hold hold on a second. Yeah, hold on. Let me grab something. I want to make sure that I capture everything that you're saying. (laughs) Because not only does it allow you to actually capture whatever or however many gripes or points they want to make so that later on you can decide you either want to engage with them and look back at them and and decide, yeah, this one, yes, that one, no, this one, yes. But 
when they recognize that you're actually making, kind of documenting their helpful input, check, check. they often tend to be a little more deliberate in it, uh, with what they're saying. Um, not always, but that often helps. But I like that checklist approach and just like, you know, taking it as though it's a shopping list and it's very neutral because you don't need to respond. You can actually just take it and say, okay, so this is what I heard you say. Did I miss anything? Okay, got it. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks for sharing that. I'm actually, I'm definitely going to give this some, some consideration and I need to run, <laughs> you know, something to that effect. That's beautiful though, because one of the things that people get so frustrated about, and can we just call out for a moment? Sometimes we call it giving feedback. Yes, we do. <laughs> and and we're like, what? You can't receive feedback. Um, and I am, I am a huge proponent of having those healthy conversations, but not when it's actually criticism, just camouflaged as feedback. Um, but I digress. Um, but you know, we, we give this feedback and then, or this criticism and then, sorry, we receive this feedback and we're inevitably placed in a, a position of feeling or being defensive. And even if we're trying not to be, yes, we're going to be accused of it. Like, even if like the feedback that you're given or the criticism that you're given is actually like a misunderstanding or the person doesn't have all of the information. I've been in this position with my husband. Like you're giving me criticism or feedback, but you don't have all the information, but I'm going to come across as being defensive and unable to receive feedback. So I love your approach. Let me just absorb it. And also for those of us who are introverts, we might need the time to, to absorb it. We might need the time to internally process and kind of walk through it before we're able to properly respond if we even need to. So I, I absolutely love the shopping list approach. So take note, listeners. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's one of the, the, the recommendations I make. I have this little 30-minute you know, training. It's actually on my website uh, on um, handling criticism with poise and grace. And so it walks you through several of them. And that's one of them because I just find it's, it's so simple. You know, it, it just, it allows you to be there to receive. And again, just as a caveat, this does not mean that you, I am recommending you stand there and receive when someone is behaving inappropriately. Oh, uh, hell yes. Someone is being abusive mm -mm. or condescending or anything like that, right? That That is not what I'm recommending. This is when it's someone who is trying to give you the quote unquote feedback criticism, right? And, and uh, we want a deliberate way to receive it and then decide what to do with it so that we don't need to be so reactive about it. You know, when we're, we're dealing in that situation with someone being um, abusive or attacking us, I think we can just walk away. Yeah. In my, my opinion, we just walk away. And what I, I, recommend that people do is let them know, you know, I, I really want to hear what you have to say, but it doesn't sound like you're in a position right now to be able to articulate that in a way that's professional. And I think what we, you know, we should revisit this at a time where we might be able to, to communicate a little more clearly. It just, sometimes you can get that far with it. And sometimes you just have to say, 
this is not a conversation I'm willing to have right now. <laughs> you walk away. Yeah, no, I appreciate the distinction. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it's actually hard to make that distinction. Um, but you know, in your gut, when someone is just um, not in a place to have that conversation, for sure. Um, so we've talked about imposter syndrome. We've talked about criticism. And I sort of want to circle it back around to how this might show up for our listeners specifically. And these are the folks in organizations who are, like you said earlier, doing big things and, you know, making big waves and they see this future, right? They see this future for their organization, for the world of work at large. How do you think that imposter syndrome shows up for them and what can we tell them to sort of help them navigate that when you're the face of so much change and the change that you want to be? Yeah, I love that. And yes, being up to big things is going to bring up an inordinate amount of self-doubt and second guessing and um, and maybe that feeling of imposter syndrome. So the, the first thing, um, there are a couple of things I want to say that's about that. So hopefully that's okay. But the, <laughs> okay, the first is that expecting to take on something worthy of your life, your intention and your energy and not feel self-doubt or or second guess yourself is it's kind of like expecting to do a high intensity workout and not sweat. But the worst part is that it's like trying to do that workout and then the moment you start sweating, you take that as a sign that it's something wrong and you stop. Right. And because that's what we do when we feel self-doubt or like they're going to think I'm not enough or whatever it is that that voice is going on back there that's not helping you. We often take that as a sign that we should stop. Right. Or redirect. That is not what that means. (laughs) That self-doubt, that question, that fear that's there. It's just letting you know you're venturing into something important or new or unfamiliar or whatever the case is, and that's okay. It is okay to have self-doubt. Self-doubt is not your enemy. Imposter syndrome is not your enemy. You may find that it never goes away, that you always have the self-doubt there, that you that you always feel kind of like you're pretending and just hoping that everything goes, right? But the distinction here is that you can feel that way, but not have all of your decisions be driven by it, right? So because your heart rate or your, you know, you started sweating or your heart rate went up doing the exercise, you're not going to stop because you know that's what's supposed to happen. You're not making it wrong that that's happening. It's like, okay, this is what's supposed to happen. And I want you to, to try on that, you know, second guessing and feeling unsure is what's supposed to happen when you're up to big things. So, you know, the big problem we have is when we make it wrong or we make it mean something it doesn't. It doesn't mean stop. It doesn't mean turn around. It doesn't mean you're doing it wrong. It just means you're up to big things. Allow it to be there. 
but then decide what you want to have driving your decisions. That's why I talked about having a North Star, you know, having that bigger than you intention, that bigger than you purpose, and all of you guys do. So hang on to that because that is going to be there and going to pull you along, even if trailing right behind you is always the self-doubt or always, you know, the imposter syndrome, if you're referring to it that way. It doesn't need to go away for you to change the world. You just need to be willing to change the world, even if it's there. I feel like you were talking to me. (laughs) I don't know about you listeners, but I feel personally attacked. (laughs) And no, in the best possible way, of course. (laughs) In the best possible way. Um, That was beautiful. I mean, truly. Listeners, if you need to pause right now and rewind and listen to that again, feel free. Because I think we're all going to need to hear that time and time again while we are trying to change the world. Um, It's a big mountain that we are all trying to climb. Um, So you said you had many thoughts. Do you have more? No. You know what? I think... I think we'll we'll let it rest with that one. Just self-doubt is not your enemy. And it is not intended, you know, imposter syndrome is not a decision driver. You decide what the decision driver is, right? When you don't decide and you cave to thinking that self-doubt or imposter syndrome means you shouldn't do it, you've now decided that that is what's driving your decisions. And the reason that's so meaningful is because that decisions are what create your life. So you decide what you want to have creating your life. And, and we need to be deliberate about that. Again, it's not going away. Just just know, just let it sit in the back seat. It, it can come along for the ride, but it doesn't have to be navigating. Beautiful. I love it so much. All right. I have one question for you that I have begun asking almost every guest on the podcast, which is when you heard Wild Hearts at Work, what did that mean to you? Oh, my gosh. Um to me, that meant the the not the status quo. Kind of like, I know this could be different. It, it kind of spoke to that, um, you know, one of the first programs I created was called Bad Boss Breakthrough. And it was for, you know, employees, for, for staff who were struggling with a less than ideal um situation at work. And it just meant to me, it reinforced the fact that we need to be the chief strategists and CEOs of our careers. That's it. Like you're, you're speaking to that side of the conversation. I think people often know or, or have an awareness that they, they, their only reason that they are, they have a job let's say within an organization is because they are part of the organization's strategic plan, right? And uh, uh, somewhere in there, right? So you might know where you fit in that plan or where your function fits in that plan. But what I've started to articulate to people and what I think Wild Hearts at Work articulates is your organization is also part of your strategic plan. And it's up to you to decide whether and how they fit into that plan. Hell yes. 
(laughs) That's all I have to say to that. Hell yes. (laughs) Amazing. Uh, Well, tell us, where can people find you and what do you have coming up? Oh, yeah, definitely. Thank you for asking. So you guys, I actually have a great resource for you on my website. It's three leadership conversations you should be having at work. Um, So please go ahead and find that. That's one of my current resources. That's at bridgewellpro.com. Again, bridgewellpro.com. Please connect with me on LinkedIn. I try to stay active there and I'm going to be and I'm I'm doing uh, monthly LinkedIn lives uh, in my leadership series. There's actually one Uh, Well, there's one coming up every month. (laughs) So if you didn't catch the February, definitely catch the March. Um, But I have that. I mentioned earlier my leadership confidence intensive. And I've decided it was so successful and the participants got so much value out of it. It also happens to be like the the best priced way of working with me in a small group. And that is coming up um, in February as well. So I'm going to be offering that probably every month or two because it was so successful. They're limited spaces, but you can find out more on my website. And the reason I love the Leadership Confidence Intensive Weekend is because it really does, it addresses so many of these pieces. You know, we talk about self-confidence and confidence. We break down imposter syndrome. We talk about managing burnout and what that means. We talk about alignment with uh, values and how to bring that into what you do and who you are. Um, they're just so many good conversations. And then you guys are brilliant. So when I, you know, we break people out into groups, like everyone's inner coach just kind of surfaces and just the brilliance that comes from the, the masterminding that we do over the weekend it just it just blew me away and we're doing that again so please check the website i invite you all to look into it for yourselves for your teams um just a, a lot of fun it's a it's a good weekend and like i said i'm just i'm still blown away at the response from participants Awesome. Well, I will definitely put the website in the show notes. So if you are listening and you just want to go click on the link, please do. Uh, We definitely want to support you and your work because I find it just, it's beautiful. It's exactly what we need to support the kind of people that are doing these big things in the world. So thank you for being with us so much. Thank you so much for having me. You guys, it's been lovely being with you. Uh, And for you, my friends, thank you for being here for another episode of Wild Hearts at Work. I hope you found tremendous value from her words. I know I did. Um, And just a reminder, we do have a Patreon if you'd like to support the podcast. Um, And coming up soon is the relaunch of MelissaBoggs.com. So a little plug for that website. Uh, Stay tuned for more. But until next time, dear hearts, stay wild. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Wild Hearts at Work. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share. For more resources and to connect with Melissa, visit melissaboggs.com. Also, if you or someone you know is doing great work in a wild way, get in touch about being a guest on the show. Until next time.